This podcast is part of the Acast Creative Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. In Prague yesterday, there was a meeting of European countries, not just the 27 EU states, but also non-EU members. There was 44 leaders there representing Switzerland and Norway, Turkey, Ukraine and Balkans countries to discuss energy, how we would get through this winter and how to deal with Vladimir Putin and the awful war he has visited on Ukraine with its terrible atrocities. And one of the good news stories appears to be that the EU and the UK are getting closer to perhaps finding a solution to the problems of Northern Ireland as they are reflected in the Northern Ireland Protocol in the Brexit agreement. We're joined now from London by Chris Jones. Chris, of course, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator, and he joins us from London. Chris, we know that Liz Truss changes her mind. She was a Remainer who is living with Brexit. She was a Lib Dem who's now somewhere on the extreme right of the Tory party. She appears to have changed her mind about President Macron as well, because when asked if he was a friend or foe, she said during the election campaign for the Tory leadership, she wasn't sure. But she declared herself a friend yesterday, and they seemed to get on very well and struck some agreements. This, on the face of it, is good news if the British can be taken at their word in terms of particularly the Irish issue, the Northern Ireland Protocol but they'll have to deal with the DUP when they attempt to do that. Yeah, the uh, thing about Macron is that during that campaign to be Tory leader, um, it was quite clear that Trust adopted a very simple tried and trusted tactic by many politicians going back many generations of saying what the audience wanted to hear. Now, her yeah. audience, of course, was the very small number of people who belong as members of the Conservative Party. and. Bashing the French is something that always plays well. <laughs> there are lots of things that play well with that audience. Uh, perhaps more importantly than that, the l low tax thing that she has promised. So, 
she was uh, behaving as a typical cynical politician that we've seen many, many times, and that anything that she said during that campaign should have been taken with a pinch of salt. She was just trying to get the votes of a very small number of people. Um, the, the issue of whether she is showing pragmatism with respect to Europe, all things Europe, including France, including the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, including the relationship going forward with Europe, um, has elicited a lot of debate amongst political anoraks like me over the last while. And there are essentially two, two schools of thought. One is that she is a pragmatist, that you have to look at what she does rather than what she says, and that um, she just is going to uh, uh, bend with the wind more than Johnson did and not be too unfriendly towards Europe, not be too rigid in, in, in the way that Johnson seemed to always want to, to pick a fight. The other school of thought is that she's not pragmatic at all. She's um, committed ideologue to her right-wing economic agenda, which is shrinking the state via tax cuts and spending cuts. And we've seen some of that, of course, very recently. And that she just doesn't feel very strongly about anything else, that she does actually doesn't care about Europe. That shift from, be from being a Remainer many years ago. And she did say some uh, quite you know, strong things about Brexit during the referendum campaign. Um, right. She said that it was a triple tragedy, and it was only advocated by those, and I quote here, living in cloud cuckoo land. Wow. Now she says that she is a committed lever. Um, I, I tend towards the latter explanation, which is that I don't think she cared about Brexit one way or the other, but she is passionately committed to this, dare I say, quite simplistic view of the world, which is that the way forward to break out of um, what she calls managed decline, what I would simply describe as the last 15 years of the British economy going nowhere. And she's got a, a method in her head, and indeed shared by people like Kwasi Kwarteng, to do this thing, to break Britain out of its managed decline, um, or just stasis. Uh, and we can have that debate about whether her methods for doing that are right or wrong, but that's what she's passionate about, and she actually doesn't care very much about anything else. That her, She's sort of a one-agenda prime minister, a big agenda, it has to be said. And I don't think she cares about Europe. I don't think she cares about Northern Ireland protocols. I don't think she cares about withdrawal agreements. I just think she think if something gets in the way of her agenda, which she summarized in her speech with the Three, you know, Dominic Cummings' legacy to the country is, is a, always have a three-word slogan for yes. everything. Get Brexit done, etc. Hers is growth, growth, growth. Yes. The, the most simplistic three-word slogan of all. Anything that gets in the way of that, she's going to be against. Anything that doesn't matter for that, she's not going to care about. Well, one of the things that surely must be getting in the way of growth, growth, growth is the loss of their European market, which was, I think, 75% of what they sold. But we come back to that. She has appointed Steve Baker as a junior minister in the Northern Ireland office, and he issued a fairly abject apology to the European Union and to Ireland this week. Now, Baker is a very interesting character. He's a leading figure in the European Research Group. He was among the first to call out Boris Johnson. He is right-wing. And he came out with, I, I must say, I, it sounded, he was, had a grin on his face when he issued this apology. Nevertheless, the suggestion was, or the implication was, that in terms of finding a solution to the 
Northern Ireland problem and the problems of that protocol, that Britain would be more obliging. Now, it, it appears yesterday that when she met Macron and indeed our own Taoiseach, Michal Martin, that Michal Martin said he accepts her good faith in an effort to find a resolution to the protocol. Of course, her good faith, if it exists, will run up against the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, who have defied and thwarted every British prime minister, including Theresa May and even Johnson, who lied to them, but then he lies to everybody. Yes, ultimately, though, uh, I'm sorry to use strong language, the DUP gets shafted by the Tory party. Yeah. And I suspect that we are going to see something similar again. Um, the only issue that is that that raises, what does that mean for the actual politics of Northern Ireland, the, the future of the Assembly, and whether or not they can get that up and running again, if, if, they, if the Tory party again reneges yes. on all of the promises that they have made to the DUP, which traditionally is, is, what, is what they do. And I, I, you know, I think that's what's coming down the pike, is that, is that um, very slowly, I don't think it's going to happen very quickly. They, they, the DUP will discover that they have been sold out yet again, and that's my guess. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know that. That's that's going to be a huge row when it, if it comes. doesn't. If it doesn't resolve itself by October twenty eighth, there will have to be an election for the Northern Ireland Assembly. So time isn't on the side of the parties seeking a solution. To this problem. But I want to just ask you a bit more. We saw the Tory party conference. A lot of leading Tories didn't attend the conference. For example, Rishi Sunak didn't go. Michael Gove went to make trouble for Miss Truss. Looking at some of the people she's appointed, Suella Braverman, she appointed as Home Secretary, which is extraordinary, really. I watched her speech and she said nothing would make her happier than a plane load of illegal immigrants, poor people who've come off these boats, being sent back to Rwanda for Christmas. And I, I couldn't think of a, a more callous and actually cruel remark by a, a Home Secretary in a speech to her own party's conference. What kind of Tory party is this now in power? What kind of Tory cabinet? When you think back, I mean, to, you know, I lived in Britain for almost 20 years. It wasn't always like this. And Margaret Thatcher's cabinet had Geoffrey Howe, Kenneth Clark, Heseltine. These were serious people. They weren't extreme right-wingers or anything like it. And Margaret Thatcher wasn't really quite the animal Manny on the left depicted her as. She, of course, had her strong views and she exercised power and changed Britain. But in, the, in terms of the north of Ireland, she signed a deal with Gareth Fitzgerald, a very important one. The Conservative Party, to me, looks like um, Italian politics in the sense that they are an unruly, ungovernable coalition that's destined to fall apart. Whenever you look at the Italian government, you're usually months away from it falling apart to be replaced either via an election or via some other process to get another unruly coalition. The, it, it, I can't tell you the number of articles that have been written this week that have the word ungovernable in it when it comes to describing 
the current state of the Conservative Party. Yes. Suella Braverman herself, that woman that you just described, I think, quite well, um, accused her fellow Tories this week of launching yes. a coup against uh, Liz Truss. Strong words for a, 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 par- a party that prides itself on being absolutely relentless in its hold on power. So I do think that it is an ungovernable coalition of interests. Um, but it has changed, as you say, from the days of, of Thatcher. And normally what happens to the Tory party, it changed. It's chameleon-like in its need to hold on to power. It does whatever is necessary to hold on to power. That's what it's famous for. That's what it's done historically. You could just say that's very cynical, but yeah. that's what it's been very good at. And interestingly, of course, I would think that it's would assert that it's not very good at, at the moment of, of doing it because it doesn't represent the people. In terms of this small state thing that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng are pursuing, this low, what they say they want is uh, the regeneration of the British economy by shrinking the size of the state, by cutting taxes and cutting government spending. When you actually ask people in the UK, do they want that? A maximum of 10% of uh, people who respond to polls um, ask that answer answer that question in the affirmative. The vast majority of people in this country have never indicated any desire for that. In terms of her cabinet, um, one of the good things, I guess, is that um, 30% of the cabinet are black or Asian or other ethnic minorities. um, And that compares to about 14% of the population at large. So that people say... One of the things we say is that um, the glass ceiling has been broken, and interestingly, it is the Conservative Party, and that is a yes. that is a good thing. Um, but seventy percent of them are privately educated, compared to seven uh, percent of the population at large. So we say that the glass ceiling is broken, but not the class ceiling. These are still all hyper-educated, um, privately educated Oxbridge people, and so they still come from a a, a class of society that really is quite. I think isolated. And one of the things, one of the stats that I like to kick around with my friends here in the UK this week has been, you you might recall that there was this big furore about the 45 pence tax rate that initially was going to be abolished. And now it isn't going to be abolished because everybody kicked up about it. If you go to to Wales, for instance, um, a country that I know well, um, a country of about three and a half million people, um, 9,000 of which paid that 45% tax rate. Yes. Um, it uh, once you get outside the southeast of England, um, this is a, a very different, a very very different country. I mean that that cabinet doesn't have any one single MP. Interestingly, from London, it doesn't have any from Wales, or it doesn't have any from the forty-two red ball seats. So you, mm. you you might begin to ask who exactly is it is go, is it representing? And it, it's basically Tory England. And Tory England is out is England outside London. And, and you know, the major cities. In in her speech, she, she very effectively, I thought, said that she was the first leader who'd been educated in a comprehensive school. It turned out that, that wasn't true. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I don't think it was such a conscious lie, mm. but it, maybe it was. But she did also refer to her childhood, part of it spent in, in Scotland, and part of it, I think, spent in Nottingham or somewhere like that. Middle England, I suppose. But she's she's got a real problem in that it's hard to take her seriously, Chris. 
Yes, absolutely. If you think about what she, what she's done, in that she's she's campaigned on this low tax, low government spending thing. She's campaigned on making horrible remarks, being very rude about the Bank of England, being very rude about the Treasury, the two great economic institutions of state. Look at where we've arrived at now. And whatever you think about her, whatever you think about her policies, that what they have achieved so far has been to strengthen the Bank of England because they've had to step in and now are seen as having saved the British financial system in what it did last week. It has enhanced its reputation and its power, and people are going to pay a lot more attention to what the Bank of England does and says than they are to what Liz Truss says. Equally, the Treasury has been enhanced because the great Treasury spokesman of the last few months has been Rishi Sunak, and every single thing that he predicted has come to pass. So she's enhanced the institutions of the state that she wanted to emasculate, and she is now very clearly presiding over a coalition of a Tory party at war with itself because there's grave doubts now about whether or not she's going to be able to get through these benefit cuts, for example, um, these much-trailed real cuts, real terms cuts in benefits that are going to unnecessary to make this fiscal sums add up. And also that she has a problem with the principle that benefits shouldn't rise in line with inflation. They should rise in line with the average wage. The other thing. Uh, clearly, that is a kind of difficult for people, some of whom are in employment, but still drawing benefits. But those benefits won't go up in line with inflation. The other thing that was fascinating was she was asked repeatedly by a number of interviewers on Monday or Tuesday or both, whether she ex- would express confidence in Kwasi Kwarteng, who's the chancellor she just appointed. And, of course, the Chancellor, who plunged her into trouble, such trouble that there was a run on the pound and pensions and stuff had to be saved by a 65 billion injection of money from the Bank of England. I mean, she she looked out of her depth, Chris. Yeah, one of those early interviews where she was asked about her new Chancellor, she just raised her eyebrows in response to that question (laughs) about confidence. But she did later issue that that very familiar weasel-worded clarification that, of course, she had uh, trust in her chancellor. The best interview that I've seen all week was actually one conducted by Beth Rigby of Sky. And Beth was given 10 minutes with with Liz Truss. And it was an extraordinary interview. Um, Beth, I think, is one of the best political broadcasters out there. She is indeed, yes. And she asked a whole series of questions on a whole series of issues, many of which we've just touched on. And it's quite clear that Miss Tr- um, Truss uh, <laughs> has a single transferable answer because every single answer she gave to a wide variety of questions was, I've cut people's gas bills. Uh, it was quite an extraordinary performance. We're used to politicians not answering the question. We're used to politicians answering a different question, but she's carrying it on now to another level. But Beth floored her. with her. She waited until the end. She didn't get irate. And people like me would have gotten quite frustrated if I was the interviewer in this particular case of the single transferable answer. But the look on Liz Truss's face with the final question, which was from Beth Rigby, Prime Minister, have you got a mortgage? (laughs) Yes. And there was this wonderful silence, look of shock on Liz Truss's face. And and she eventually burbled, yes, I do have a mortgage. And of course, the point had been made is that everything that both um, her and in particular Kwasi Kwarteng have done 
in recent days has been to raise the cost of mortgages, which, of course, you ask about, one might ask about many different issues across British politics and economic policy. And, the, and, the, and people then say, well, does this, whatever this is, cut through? And if there's one thing that's going to cut through every single time, it's the mortgage rate. And yes. uh, people now who are coming off their fixed rate mortgages of a couple of years ago are finding that they're between 2 and 3% higher than perhaps they would otherwise have been. So this is a serious, serious issue for Britain, for individuals and yeah. for the economy. Because if the mortgage rate does go up in the way that we think it might over the next 6 to 12 months, um, that isn't just a problem for the housing market. It's a problem for the economy, and it's a huge problem for Liz Truss and a huge problem for the Tory party. It's the mortgage rate, I think, more than anything else over the next six months will determine her fate. And also unemployment, if this thing gets out of hand, there's surely going to be a consequence for the quasi Quatang's botched effort to produce what he called a mini-budget, which was in fact a budget. And he's had to change everything. He had a meeting with the Office of Budget Responsibility this week, who weren't consulted before the mini-budget, so-called. And he also has met with the Bank of England. At the same time, he's also he also blabbed on Sunday that there was more of the same to come. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing either, does he? I don't think so. And I, uh, One of the things that strikes me about Kwasi Kwarteng is that he's almost the mirror image of the economist uh, that we needed during the, the currency crisis, because it was one of, the, one of the things that went wrong during the currency crisis is that very technical, very able economists had forgotten an awful lot of economic history. They'd never even studied it. It's not on the curriculum anymore. And one of the things that emerged from all of that is that we now believe that we should teach in our economics courses at schools and universities a bit more about economic history and things like the great financial crisis stand a better chance of not happening if we understand history. In charge back then were all the very technical mathematical economists. What we've got now is a chancellor that only knows economic history. He knows nothing about how the modern financial world actually works. And so the financial plumbing of pension funds, which is very arcane, very technical, very esoteric, and I could burble on about liability-driven investments to bore you and your listeners to death, which caused the blow-up in financial markets last week. But it's quite clear that this chancellor doesn't really understand modern finance and its technicalities and its complexities. That's not to deny his brilliance. That's not to deny his PhDs in economic history. But it's quite clear what he knows and what he doesn't know. So I don't think he really understands how a modern economy works, no. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How close to the real Tory party is that cabinet? Given that Gove is alienated, that Rishi Sunak is alienated. There are several others as well. Also, the Tory head of the Treasury Select Committee in the House of Commons. All of them are alienated. All of them disagree with the policy that Truss and Kwatang put out there. How can she get control of the party, and when she hits the House of Commons next week, will she even manage to get some of this stuff through? As I say, it's a very unruly coalition of very different interests now, this this today's Conservative Party. And one of the things that's in all of the columns and pieces and conversations and barroom, coffee room chats around Westminster is how long is she going to last? And there are some people who clearly want her out, and they're Michael Gove. Well, it's worth it's worth recalling that when she was running and MPs were the electorate, she didn't come anywhere, really. I mean, she did not get, by any means, a majority of MPs. It was only when they whittled it down to two, and Rishi Sunak was her opponent, that the, the members got to have a go, and that's when she sprinted ahead. Yeah. And so we get questions like, can she last until Christmas? I think the mood is is febrile. The mere fact that those questions are being asked suggests how skittish MPs are. They don't like her. As you say, only a minority of them voted for her. But th- I think the overall mood, apart from a few re- you know, really diehard rebels, Sunak fans, shall we say, uh, uh, basically, I think the main constituency body of the Tory MPs in in London are saying, we can't change Prime Minister again just a few weeks after we did it. We really have to go with this one and hope that we don't lose at the next general election by too much. There's an air of resignation that defeat is inevitable. And it's now just a question of managing that defeat as best we can. And in the run-up to that defeat, start thinking about how we regroup in opposition afterwards because at that point we will have been in power we'll have lost power after about 14 years and there's a sort of element of fatalism about the thing well you know everybody you know nobody lasts forever even in politics so it kind of is our turn 
to to have a period in opposition. And so I think what what we will see um, is very is is that kind of resigned attitude towards that uh, loss, um, but with a rump and quite a large rump in the party grumbling about the fact that today there was another twenty plus percentage point opinion poll lead for the yeah. Labour Party, and the sort of thing that suggests that if it's translated into actual seats, um, they could get less than 100 seats at the general election. It's not a question of their majority losing their majority or what majority. It's actually the number of seats the Tories will get is, is scarily low at the moment. So, so people like Boris Johnson will lose their seats well. unambiguously. <laughs> and so, um, and, and lots more besides. That will concentrate minds. So this small but nevertheless significant rump that do want her gone by the next election will be watching those opinion polls. And unless you man- they, they, they manage to start creeping up again, I think that you know, we should always be asking the question, will she last? Okay, I want to ask you the final question today, and it is this. Boris Johnson, many people, many Tory voters, I suspect many Tory MPs, want him back. Isn't that true? Certainly of the electorate, they don't like her. They want Boris back. And the question I want to ask you, Chris, is there a route back for Boris? Because don't forget, when he was leaving only one month ago, he said, hasta la vista, baby, which, uh, if my Spanish is right, means I'm going, but I'll be back. I'll be back, baby. Yes, yeah. there is a route back, and it's called the 1922 committee. They would have to change the rules, and uh, um, well, they're free to do that, and they could do that. They could do that overnight, effectively. Yes. And so, so yes, there is clearly a route back in Boris Johnson's mind. Uh, yes, one very pragmatic response to this was given to me by a very a, a well-known um, MP, which says, in order to do this, Boris has to. Um, be very uh, assiduous in his um, campaigning behind the scenes. Not a, he can't do it overtly. He has to do it behind the scenes. He has to schmooze MPs. He has to do a lot of hard graft to smooth this path back to number 10. And the one thing Boris Johnson has never done in his life is hard graft. So <laughs> right. he, he just simply isn't organized enough to do this. It's, it has been one, I think, quite quite interesting opinion that I've, I've been told. Um I think that it's much more likely that uh, the, the debate within the Tory party, as I say, is it focuses on that we just have to go with it because we can't put the party and the country through another electoral process, even one amended by the 1922 committee. The rump that wants to replace her are split between simply giving the job to Sunak because certainly the financial markets would breathe a sigh of relief. If Sunak got the job this afternoon, then he guarantee you that sterling would be up and bond yields would be down. Those problems that were yes. created by Kuateng would disappear. Um, the other uh, bit of that rump wants a caretaker prime minister, somebody like, um, believe it or not, Grant Shapps, um, <laughs> a, a whole list of names that you would chuckle at is, is mentioned in, in, in passing. Um, so... Again, but that kind of description of what people seem to want, what people seem to think within the Tory party simply illustrates just how divided they are. There is no single unified view coming up that this is what we must do and when we must do it. Um, you, depending on who you talk to, you'll get a completely different path forward. So as I say, this Tory party to me looks about uh, in a similar state as Italian politics has found itself in for many, many years. 
You don't sound upset, Chris. <laughs> I'm sorry, I am as a citizen. I'm I'm extremely distressed by all of this because it, it you know it's it's extremely bad for the country. They are doing nothing for the economy. The economy mm. is going to go through, is going through a very bad time that could last for quite some time. It is very very bad. As as a political anorak, I'm delighted to see the Tories in trouble. Of course, I make I've never made any any um, hiding of that. You haven't, Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. That's Chris Johns, former chief economist at the Bank of Ireland. Definitely not a closet Tory. We're grateful to Chris, of course, as always, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.